human reciprocity in any communication exchange. We're still in 2021. I guarantee it would have been a six-figure deal. It's a big platform. It's a big company. We didn't get that far because it died on the vine. But with a six-figure deal on the line, you don't want me to know who you are or see where you are or what? It's just mind-blowing to me that that's where we are. So if that's who you are listening to this show, we still have some advice for you in this book too. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Ethan Butte and Stephen Passanelli. Ethan is the Chief Evangelist at BombBomb, and Stephen is the Chief Marketing Officer at BombBomb. And together, they are the co-authors of a very interesting new book titled Human-Centered Communication, a Business Case Against Digital Pollution. And that is exactly what we're talking about today. In our conversation, Ethan, Stephen, and I talk about the challenges and the costs as sellers and also just as as individuals, as humans, of dealing with digital pollution. Uh, And we dive into how human-centered communications can be the antidote for companies and for sellers that are looking for a way to earn the time and attention of their buyers, prospective buyers, in a very noisy world. So Ethan and Stephen define digital pollution as unwelcome digital distractions. I mean, my inbox, I don't know what's yours, but my inbox receives hundreds of those per day. And they also define it as communications that minimize and dehumanize the recipients. And we're all on the receiving end of those. So in addition, they also give us practical examples from their book about how you, as a seller, can incorporate human-centered communications into your day-to-day selling process and what the value of those are to the recipients. So we're going to get into that and much, much more. But before we get to Ethan and Stephen, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review, give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Ethan and Steve, welcome back to the show. Both of you, a return visit. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Yeah, excited to be on again. Steve, you, you might be coming up into the elite category. I think this is your third time on the show. That that is correct, and and hopefully it's a good trajectory and not a downhill slide each time. No, I, I think it's a great trajectory. I mean, like I said it's it's. Uh, I think if you get five appearances, it's like sort of like Saturday Night Live. You host it five times, you get like a blazer. We'll send you a not a blazer, but we'll send you something. I'll I'll take anything at this point. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, uh, gosh, we're going to talk about your your new book that you guys co-authored called Human-Centered Communication, a Business Case Against Digital Pollution. So what was the impetus to write the book? Well, okay, so Steve and I co-authored Rehumanize Your Business together a couple of years ago, which I'm sure uh, either or both of us have talked about with you on this show. We have, yes. And so periodically from time to time, one of us would say to the other, I got an idea for the second book. And for a little while, I was like, too soon, you know, because there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. It's it's a journey. And uh, but then one time he said it and he was serious. And his idea was, um, you know, we've known for a long time that video messaging and video email are the mechanics of what we do. But what we're doing and what our customers are experiencing, what their customers are experiencing is so much more powerful than that. And so we wanted to explore why and take it outside the bounds of video messaging and really get into, all right, We, by the way, the word COVID and pandemic, those don't appear anywhere in the book, but still it's hard to do this, not in light of that. Right. You know, we're going to be spending more time in these spaces. And so how can we take what's so good about a, a well-executed video message and take that into a broader digital, virtual, or online experience because we're going to be doing more of this than less in the future. And these spaces are noisier and more polluted than ever. And so Steve had the idea of let's take that on and let's invite some of our favorite people who have something interesting and valuable to say on the topic into the conversation. And so we uh, we ended up landing at 11 people for no particular reason except that maybe uh, – A few seconds. Like, I could have been the 12th, but I wasn't invited. <laughs> Well, you didn't reply to my email. I'm just kidding. Um, so, so we so we explored you know these themes of digital pollution, human centered communication. 
We invited all these people into conversations. So chapters three through 13 are really deep dives into the philosophies and practices of uh, some people that a listener to this show would definitely recognize. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like good number of them have been on the show. Yes. And at a really like simple fundamental level, you know, this was sparked because a lot of people would send out videos. We, I would talk to them about their videos that they're sending and they, and they would say video doesn't work. And, you know, Ethan alluded to this, that, uh, you know, it's the messaging that you're putting into the video, but it, it truly is. You can't just use video with a bad message. It's only going to enhance that bad message and, and not take it uh, to a good place for you. And so, you know, w- what is the differentiator? You know, it's not that you're using video. It's that you have a human centered approach. You're putting the needs, wants and interests of your recipient on equal or level playing field as your own. And if you do that with any digital messaging, as Ethan mentioned, whether you're writing it out in text or you're using a more complete and whole form of communication like video, that's what's going to make it more impactful. So rather than you know, rehumanize your business, and, and this wasn't really the thrust of the book, but there's underlying themes of this across the book, rehumanize your business was about the use of video. This is about the messaging within the video and the thrust and the connection and the communication. So it's, it's like the 2.0 version. It's the advanced, advanced version of using right. video and communication. Right. Well, I, mean, I think the message is really bigger than just video, right? So Absolutely. when you talk about, you know, putting the interest of the other person first, I mean, that's, that's a message regardless of the medium, whether it's a digital medium or it's you know, an analog medium, it's, it's, or it's a personal medium. I mean that that I think as one of the you know baseline themes of the book is is really important and it's you know resonated with me because it's something that my next book touches on very doesn't touch on it deals with very very directly as yeah so one of the prevailing issues that we have certainly in this business that you all of us are in which is sales is that habit we just can't seem to break which is to want to always talk about ourselves first. Yeah, well, it's just the system and the process and the design around it. I mean, most of us, unless we're in a very, very early stage company, so many of us are plugged into a system or a process that has its own wants and needs. And and most of those systems and processes were not set up with the benefits of people in mind, either the practitioner, the BDR, SDR, AE, or whomever, or the prospect or the customer. And so, sure. you know, we're just plugged into these machines that have these industrial era like echo effects. Um, and of course, the ludicrous thing about it, the, the, the absolute joke about the way that a lot of us are doing this in a lot of organizations, again, just sticking with this industrial theme is that the buyer's journey is obvious. To call it nonlinear is just a gross, gross, gross understatement. And right. yet we still have like these uh, – machinations where we think we're just going to get them on and just move them down the assembly line and like check, check, stage, 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 you know, and and it just, that's just not how it works. Well, not at all. I mean, it is one of the things that I think is, is, you know, sort of ironic, if you will, maybe that's the wrong term, but is, is, I think it was two years ago, three years ago, Gartner came out with their sort of seminal study on buyer enablement. And they have this famous spaghetti diagram, which I refer to all the time in the show about the buyer journey, which is anything but linear. And yet I've yet to come across an organization that said, yeah, we're, we're changing our sales process to mirror the way customers actually buy and actually make decisions. Right. And in the every instance I've still seen, I'm sure there's companies out there, I'd love to hear from them if they've, if they've changed significantly. But in 99.99% of the cases, the sales process is still described as a linear series of steps, uh, discrete steps to help a buyer work their way through their buyer journey. And it's not the way, as you said, it's not the way it works. I'm still looking up the word machination. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, he wins, he wins the uh, vocabulary test for the day. Yeah. Pray me. I, do, I, I hope I get a blazer. <laughs> well, you're going to have to come back a few times for that. Okay. But yeah, we'll... We'll hold that out as an incentive for you, but it's, but it's, it's, you know, it's a key point and it does influence, you know, this, this way that we perceive selling the way that we perceive it taking place absolutely affects the language we use and the methods we use to communicate with buyers. And, you know, we'll get to sort of a, a key point in your book, which is, and it all contributes to this idea of 
what you call digital pollution. So help people understand what, I mean, I think they might intuitively sense what it's going to be, but help people to understand what digital pollution is. Digital pollution is uh, unwelcome digital distractions. So it can be defined or it is defined by the recipient. Something that might be digital pollution to to me is something that's uh, welcomed and, and something that you might enjoy, Andy. Mm-hmm. on you know who we are, what our interests are. And so we're bombarded every single day with digital noise. And you turn on your, your email. We don't have to go in depth into this. You know, this 99% of the messages are written by bots or they're spam or it's not for you. It's not personalized. And so, you know, we're, we're stuck dealing with a bombardment of just noise and junk. And if you have a message that is truly personal and you have a message that's valuable for the recipient, there's a good chance that it's not even going to get through. It's not going to be seen. It's not going to be heard. Um, and so digital pollution is a problem in you know prospecting. It's a problem after the relationship is, is built, just with the amount of noise and notifications that happen day in and day out. My Slack right now just looks insane. I have red <laughs> dots all over. Messages aren't responded to. There's just digital right. pollution there. Um, and as you said before, it's not just about you know email or not just about you know video. It's across all the digital platforms. And so what we explore in the book through the eleven different guests uh, is ways that you can break through that noise. Messaging that that you can use to truly communicate and connect more effectively uh, digitally. And one of my favorite chapters is Jocko's chapter. Um, it's chapter number four. Correct me if I mess up any of this, Ethan. But yeah, Jocko is chapter number four. Mm-hmm. Um, Jocko van der Koy, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, from Winning by Design, you know, he talks about the counter impact of the marketing and the messaging that you have. And he uses an analogy of trawler fishing. You know, those big, huge boats that drag the nets um, and it tries to, you know, you're just trying to catch one, one tuna or, or a particular type of fish. I don't think you trawler fish for tuna, but you're trying to catch one particular type of right. fish. Yeah. And you just destroy an entire ecosystem because you're putting that big net out there. And he talks about the counter impact. You know, yes, you might have got that one fish that you wanted, but you destroyed the, you know, the other 99% of, you know, of the ecosystem. And digital pollution, it's not only inbound, it's not only the things that you have to deal with, but as a salesperson, as a marketer, how much digital pollution are you creating? What types of messaging are you sending out to people that don't want to hear your message that's turning them off from you, your business, your company, your offer, because you're just mass blasting with all the automation that's that's here today. And so that's what this book is about. It's about exploring how we went too far on one side of the pendulum uh, in the automation uh, section of, of digital technology, how we need to bring it back. Uh, you know, as Lauren Bailey would say, you know, be 20% more human and you have a major, you know, advantage. Um, and we go over specific tactics on how to, you know, break through that, that noise and that digital pollution. Well, you talk about early in the book that sort of leading up to this idea about, you know, differentiated messaging and becoming more human, as you say, that, that, uh, people are minimized and dehumanized and, in their digital experiences. So, so give us examples of what you mean. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were just touching on that earlier and really Lauren Bailey and Mario Martinez Jr. of Vangresso, Lauren Bailey of Factor 8 and Girls Club, an amazing organization, Mm -hmm. um, both really dive very specifically at this. Like, how did we get here? How did we allow this to happen where we're putting young people in positions where they're under-trained, over-tasked, managed to the activity rather than the outcome. And, you know, like ramp time is three months. Uh, They're maybe productive for two or three months and they hate their world. And so they're looking for their next job for the last four months and they're gone and repeat. Right. And then we, but the system allows this to happen. Right. And it goes back to these, you know, factories and assembly lines, like, you know, but we are the system. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the employers, I mean, right. I'm not pointing fingers at bomb bomb, but, but, you know, it's it's more likely the case than not is mm-hmm. that you know people say, look, we've got this this technology, and and the question that doesn't seem to cross people's mind is just because we 
can do something doesn't mean that we should. That's a really good one. That's, I mean, that's a, just a classic truism that I don't know that we wrote those words specifically in the book, but it definitely underpins a lot of it. And so um, just to button that up, like sure. we're asking people to do things that don't bring them to life, that don't capitalize on their assets as full and complete human beings mm-hmm. with, you know, um, you know, passion, enthusiasm, perhaps even sure. in legitimate, sincere interest in delivering value for people. It's like, right. no, stick to the strip, repeat, 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 repeat. Like I was talking, Nah, too much detail. I was going to tell another story, but but no, go ahead, go ahead. Tell, well, tell no, the story. no, no. I'll go. I'll go back to the previous one because it ties here too. Is like it's so easy to look at that three percent conversion rate, and I'm just making it up. Like three sure. percent connect rate or response rate or conversion rate, whatever. And we can high five because it was two point four percent, you know, on a rolling six month basis, and so we improved it twenty five percent. Hooray us! We're freaking amazing. We're amazing at our jobs and. Yes, that is worth celebrating, but on the other side of that 97% failure rate is something that we don't look at because it's more difficult to understand. Uh, it's it's more difficult to measure some of the negative or counter impacts in there. And so this it, it's a lot of what we're doing in this scenario is not good for the prospect or the customer because only some small percent of the people we're reaching out to if we're operating on a volume basis are even in the market right now. So thank goodness mm-hmm. for companies like Sixth Sense and other people that are delivering intent data so we can stop harassing people that aren't in the market and are showing no signs of being in the market. They just fit our three criteria, so we're going to just dump them in the system and blast at them. Um, so, so we're mistreating them. Our, our team members very often don't like to execute this stuff because it doesn't bring them to life or capitalize on their strengths um, and people don't respond well. But this 97% we ignore. We ignore it because it's harder to understand because, um, you know, oftentimes it has this negative sentiment that we either want to ignore or just don't perceive. And so let's look at that 97% for one more step. Let's say the vast majority of that is just kind of indifferent. Like all of us, we're like swipe, delete, swipe, delete, mm-hmm, swipe, mm-hmm. delete, swipe, delete, fine. So no open, no reply, no nothing. It just went into the ether. And we all just tolerate this pollution that slows us down and distracts us, as Steve said, an unwelcome digital distraction. But whatever, I've gotten the swipe thing, so it's easy. But there's some share in that 97% that will unsubscribe or mark you for abuse or Jocko uses superhuman. And with that, not only can he just block that person, he can block the entire domain. So Jocko and any other, any of our other prospects are completely unreachable by the entire company henceforth, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. dead, that opportunity's dead. And you ruined it by sending irrelevant stuff that people don't want, that isn't specifically targeted. It's not a specific value. It's not properly personalized, whatever, all these factors that pile up. And then there's that smaller subcategory and we all spend time on LinkedIn. So we've all seen it. It's the screenshot. Maybe if they're kind, they'll blur out your name and your face and your company name and say, look what this person did. I took a LinkedIn connection request and look what I got. Or I got into my inbox sure, today and look what that. I got. And it's like, and, and so, the, I mean, these are the negative counter impacts that we just ignore or we've ignored historically. And so part of our call here is just, again, Steve kind of used language around restoring a balance and putting the pendulum back where it belongs instead of hanging out over here. And that's part of it. Like, let's acknowledge the negative consequences of what we're doing, eating our own uh, addressable market down. Yeah. So the question, though, becomes is who has to acknowledge that, though? And, you know, where's the change change begin? Because, you know, you're talking about the, the cost of what I call it, the slash and burn of your potential prospect uh, pool, which, yeah, you risk alienating people that at some point potentially could have become a prospect, but would not because of the way you're treating them. Yet there's this continued reliance on this, this methodology in certainly in the tech business and sales and an acceptance that we're sort of in this volume business. And yet it'll you know, trigger people to say, no, 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 we're all about quality, but you know, they're doing the exact same thing. And one of the consequences they're accepting extremely low win rates, but they've sort of tweaked the system so that, you know, they create enough volume passing through the funnel that they can tolerate low win rates, but it has an impact up and down the chain. And that's the numbers based game. Lauren talks about this a lot in her chapter with all the VC money that's thrown in there and you build out this model and you say, if we just dump more of these 
these leads on the top. Here's how it's going to shake down on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to spend more money on on ads. We're going to send more email, and rather than working on the quality of the of the message, it's easier just to put in some more quantity uh, on on the top of the funnel. Um, yeah, it's it, she has a an interesting interesting view of of today's SaaS companies in in her chapter. Yeah, but I mean it's a fairly commonly held view, and it, it, you're hearing more talk about okay, we sort of reached the end of the road, or we're reaching the end of the road with this particular model. We need to change, but where's the? I said, where's the impetus from change coming? Because to me, this is a cultural thing. This stop starts at the top. Yeah. This is we can talk to individual mm -hmm. sellers all we want. They have, yeah, limited amount of control over certain things that they do, which certainly we can, you know, talk about that change. But others, they don't. Yeah, I think there are a couple of factors here, and and by the way. We will give you a lot of very practical advice in these pages. We don't have that answer because it's to be discovered. As you said, like it's a commonly held view. It's cool. It's like it was like Lauren Bailey when she started Girls Club. I get to guess this is the Lauren Bailey show now. Uh, when she started Girls Club, she was like, I just got tired of going to another sales event where we all said there should be more women in sales leadership positions and no one's doing anything about it. So she started this organization mm -hmm. to empower and equip and engage women to you know, take their best shot at these positions and start earning more of them or claiming more of them. I mean, in a lot of ways, they, never mind, it's a whole separate deep psychology piece there that she does a great job sure. of presenting. So this was, this is the same thing. We're, we, so the two key factors are one, and I don't know how much time this is going to take, but the economics of this that allow us to, um, broadly, generically treat the market and use variable data to say, hey, hooray, we personalized this, um, but still do it on this volume basis uh, without any real thought or care for who's on the other side and what the long-term implications are. This uh, increasing noise and pollution will continue to increase until the economics tip and they don't hold anymore. Because, you know, you, I'm sure you know the stat better than I do, Andy, so I'm going to make it up and you can correct me if you want to dial it straight in. But it's like, you know, I'll, you, I'll, I'll just amplify the, the bad data, but let's go ahead. Okay. A few years ago, it was something like it takes seven touches in order to generate a response. And then it was like, it takes 12 touches to generate a response. And now it's like, it takes 19 touches to generate right. a response. This is, the, this is the move of the changing economics. And so there is this kind of push and pull dynamic there where the technology makes it easier to make more touches so we can start keeping up with that. But at some point, it's just going to tip. Then the other factor that blends here is uh, employee experience and customer experience, right? At some point, people will wake up to the, the true value of being treated as a human being, and they will have a preference for that on the customer experience side, which will further accelerate the decline of the economics that support this kind of broad general mistreatment of people on both sides of the equation. Likewise, we all know right now as we're recording this uh, in mid to late 2021 that the labor market right now is absolutely insane, especially in software. And so if these people have a choice of where they want to work and what they want to do and what their days and weeks feel like and what winning feels like, who are they going to select? The people that put them in this like slot that makes them do stupid stuff over and over and over again and beg for one in a hundred to respond or a place that's a little bit more engaging. Now, who is that company? There are a variety of companies that are more progressive than the pack. And I mm -hmm. think people will start migrating to those. So there are a number of market dynamics on the employee side, on the customer side, and then the basic economics too, where attention will continue to get more difficult and more expensive to attain or acquire. Um, and so as the, as the response rates to that general uh, polluting approach um, becomes uh, more expensive in general, it will become less desirable. And the less people buy it, the less desirable it becomes to execute. So where do you think it's going to be the tipping point? Um, I, I personally think it's going to be on the employee side. So employees, let's say, we'll talk about sales specifically saying, yeah, I'm tired of being, you know, SDRs. I'm tired of being cannon fodder. Uh, I want, you know, meaningful work. I, I don't, uh, fulfilling I don't know. work. Yeah. What do you think, Steve? You know, and this might be uh, TMI. He might be mad <laughs> that, that I'm sharing this, but the, marketing this book 
It was so different than marketing our, our previous book. And you'll see where I'm going with this point and how it ties into your, your question in a, in a moment. Um, you, you know, with our last book, we have a, a you know, large customer base. We actually had a lot less people, you know, when, when we released our last book two, sure. two years ago. Um, and, you know, it's not lost on us that when you write a book on human-centered communication, and then you do a mass email to tell people that you have a new book on human-centered communication that might not be as human-centered as, as, as possible. So we're trying to be, you know, careful, right? Uh, human-centered communication uh, is just like being a good person. You can't be a good person one day and then be a terrible person the next day. You, you got to work on it continuously to be a good person. It's just like the same thing with human-centered communication. You got to think sure. about it. Um, but as we market this book, our responses over email just haven't been anywhere close to you know open rates and and just engagement rates overall. We're seeing that you know with sales teams, and you're hearing that you know, when you go to sales events from other companies. I think the force, forcing function is is going to be total ignorance. People are going to start ignoring. Most messages that come through the digital platforms, and I don't, it, it's possibly not the employee, but it'll be a forcing function where your communication is demanded to be better. Mass emails and mass communication that's not designed for, for you and me and not personal, it'll just stop working. And you can keep on racking up the numbers as much as you want, but eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to peter out. Um, and just in a couple of years difference, you know, we, we see the difference marketing these two books and we have to use other, you know, other methods to do so, you know, to, to get that attention and make sure that people know that we have some value that, that we can give. Well, so what are those methods? What are you doing? That's, I'll tell that's you what, human centered that's capturing attention. Here we go. <laughs> two, thi two things that have been, and they relate to each other. The two things that have been by far in a way, the most effective is one-to-one -one video messages. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the things that spring out of that, including guesting on shows, I've been invited on to, like, um, you know, they, they don't say, awesome, I want to buy 100 copies for my organization, but they might say, um, I want to introduce you to my friend who runs this company, and this is like right on theme for them, and they've got this event coming up, and so you and Steve would be great speakers at that event, and so they would order 100 copies or 250 copies or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and then invites on to LinkedIn Lives, and invites on to podcasts, et cetera, and that all comes when you just reach out with someone and say, I have something that I think, based on our past you know, relationship and the way that mm -hmm. I know that you see life and business, I think you might find this interesting. If you have any time at all, take a look at the link down below. If you have any thoughts, questions, feedback, I welcome it. If you think it would resonate with anyone you know, share it with them, please. Um, because anyone you know is someone I want to know. And when I do that, I just time block 30 minutes to an hour a day. Mm -hmm. I never run out of people to reach out to. And that has produced 500 book deals, multiple like large uh, people interested in purchasing large quantities of books. It's in, in podcast appearances, et cetera, et cetera. And it's this, um, it's been so much more fruitful. I mean, we can send an email to thousands of people and sell, sure. you know, a hundred books, or I could send one video message to one person right. and give myself a really good shot at selling a hundred books, right. you know? And so, um, and the trick is just like with a, a mass approach, I don't know exactly who's going to engage. Not everyone opens it right away. So like I try to keep track of, you know, I guess I could be a better salesperson. I try to keep track of who I sent one-to-one -one video messages to. And if the video hasn't been played, like surface it again, just basic stuff that salespeople do in their sleep. But for me, it's been a fun process, but one-to-one video messages and then engaging with people in channels where these are themes that they want to talk about. Yeah. So your one-to-one -one video messages, are you sending those email or LinkedIn? Uh, primarily email, but I have done some LinkedIn. There are people I know where I don't even know what their email address is. We've just been connected on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, and so there I would, I mean, I use the BombBomb Bomb Chrome extension to record those, but I would just drop that straight into LinkedIn. It populates a little animated preview. Um, I'll write, write a short, short note with it um, in order to like provoke some interest in the video mm -hmm. itself, like what's in it for you. And then, uh, and then drop the link down below or I'll do it in email. Like we're a Google apps domain. So I send out a Gmail and I just record it straight in the compose window inside BombBomb. Bomb. And it, it's because a relationship and 
trust. It's the long established trust. These are the same people, by the way, that when we send out these mass emails, don't respond to the to the mass email yes, you know, that, that went out. But then when we send a personal touch, they respond with 100 books, 500 books. We'll sell more of this book than we did the last book for sure. It, it does require a different effort, a more human-centered approach, and just more thoughtfulness and time. And I think, you know, again, going back to the pendulum, that's that's the way the pendulum is going for business, you know, in, in general. We lived in this day and age for a decade where all these automation tools came out and made things so easy and everybody just just gravitated to, to easy and, and click. And it's going back the other direction. Yeah, I like how you write in the book about um, the platinum rule as opposed to the golden rule. So instead of, you know, treat people the way that you would wish to be treated is treat people the way that they they would wish to be treated. Yeah, that's just good note-taking in the CRM and paying attention and all of that, yeah. And, that's and I mean, technology can help us with that. Um, now, now, the golden rule, I mean, let's just go back to the beginning of the conversation. If sure. more people practice the golden rule personally and professionally, this would be a much better world to live and work in. The golden rule is present in every single world religion and philosophical system. Anyone who's ever tried to tackle the questions, why are we here and how are we supposed to live? landed at the golden rule. Sure. And so, like, if we just did that I mean, every well, day. And, and arguably, arguably, I mean, you could make the case that that's innate human behavior. It's yes, not even, it doesn't absolutely. have to be a rule. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it is the way we I would agree. Yeah, we it's come it's an that. observation. It's an right. observation that's been codified and taught, actively taught, although it may have been instinctual. Um, but somehow, again, when we wind up in these roles, we say, I, I don't even know what you're talking about, golden rule. Like, I, I just got to get my stuff done. I got to hit my number, you know, and just uh, the ends justify the means in a lot of cases. <laughs> and, I, and I don't mean that that's necessarily uh, immoral. I don't mean that it's like uh, no. that, that, that you're cheating people, but it's just like I'm going to do whatever it takes as opposed to I'm going to do what's most effective. Right. Well, I mean, it, it speaks to a certain – because we talk about mindfulness in selling, and it's really – requires that right that you're you're mm-hmm. thoughtful about every single action you take and i think this is a requirement that gets overlooked because of the ability to do things on in a sort of mass mass format and that, is that you okay. have to be thoughtful i mean you have to be mindful i mean i I'd like to say you know the opposite of mindfulness is mindlessness and that's that mindlessness drives a lot of sales activity these days yeah, across the whole funnel, you know, we, we we might say digital pollution, and you might just think about that initial contact contact or connection that you're making, you know, with that particular individual. But the book explores it across all phases, from awareness, education, selection to onboarding, impact, you know, and growth. And um, what I like about it, you know, Shep's got a, a particular section of the book where where he goes over his more human centered approach to the very first meeting. Uh, or the, the the Zoom that he's on with his potential customers, and the and the format that he uses to understand um, what what their dangers are, what the uh, opportunity is for them, the the strengths that's working for them, and then what they want the future to look like to work with them. Mm-hmm. This four part mm-hmm. framework, which is genius, and that that's human centered communication. That's breaking through digital pollution because people aren't used to getting that type of service and communication on a sales call. You know, they're they're drowning they're they're drowning out the messages because they're all the same. It's not it's not focused around the end user. Right, but you're you're taking a step beyond, which is yeah, again, I think you're right, you call it digital pollution is that when you actually have the opportunity to speak with someone is that the way the mindset that is inculcated into the minds of of so many sellers is sales centric, not Buyer-centric. And this is, you know, you're just giving an example in the way that, was who was it you're referring to that sets their first uh, call? Shep, Shep, Shep Hyken. Yeah, so yeah. Shep Hyken. Yeah, that's an example, right, of, okay, once I've once I've transited this barrier that that's, and I've captured someone's time, I've captured someone's attention, then that's really the requirement at that point to become human-centered and to communicate in a way that's that's different than, I think if you ask most sellers in their mind what what they should be doing in that instance is different than that. And so I think that the problem also then continues just not in the 
the physical actions we take in terms of trying to capture time and attention, it's when we have the time and attention that we too often squander it. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing. So many people are playing. This is what really frustrates me about the video messaging and video email space right now is like this myopic view where a lot of people are buying video messaging. And as a consequence, some companies are selling video email and video messaging in this kind of short term view where it is this attention play. But if we if we get someone's attention and we don't honor it and value it and give them something to reward them for giving us their time and their attention, which of course are some of the most precious things, then we build no trust, et cetera, et cetera. The whole chain is broken. And and then you wind up where Steve was earlier, which is like, I tried video and it didn't work for me. I want to go even more basic though. Quick story. So I don't do a lot of software buying at BombBomb, at BombBomb, but I can champion or influence um, Mm -hmm. a decision or make a handoff Mm -hmm. or an introduction. So these people, this 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 guy reaches out to me on LinkedIn for a platform that is relevant to the podcast that I host. It's just in the same zone. Right. Very large company that all of us would recognize the brand name. Hey, we got this thing. Would you like to talk about it? And like, I, I want to tell you straight up front, I'm not the buyer, but I would love to take this meeting. I'd love to learn more about how you're, you know, bringing together sales, marketing, customer success professionals in service of the customer under one software umbrella roof. Um, so cool. So we go back and forth. Um, he, he actually tries to accelerate the meeting to fall on the last day of the month. He said, mm-hmm. that was, he said that that it was just what worked better. I felt like it was kind of like, sure. oh, just trying to hit a, hit a, hit your number. So in any case, then I get on the call with him and the salesperson. Um, he's like a business development rep. Right. And this is where we still are in 2021. This is just a couple of months ago. Neither one of them had their cameras on. Now, I know that I'm on this call to evaluate, uh, to, to A, to answer some discovery questions, B, to get a sense of what this platform actually does. But all of us and everyone listening knows that a key part of whether or not this is going to go forward at any, lev- at any level isn't what features are in there or what it costs or how good the discovery questions are or how well I answer them. It's how do I feel about you guys? They're both guys, by the way. Mm-hmm. And how can I know? I'm, I can listen to them, but like it's like being on a phone call. And they had the opportunity with one click of a button to have me understand them, to feel their interest, to feel their enthusiasm, to like give back to me the interest and attention that I'm giving to them, like to like just the basic human reciprocity in any communication exchange. We're still in 2021. I guarantee it would have been a six-figure deal. It was a not, it's a big platform. It's a big mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. An, I'm gear, we didn't get that far because it died on the vine. But with a six-figure deal on the line, you don't want me to know who you are or see where you are or what? Like, I don't know. It's just mind-blowing to me that that's where we are. So if that's who you are listening to this show, um, we still have some advice for you in this book too. Yeah, well, for, first of all, if you're talking to somebody at BombBomb, that's all about video. You turn on your freaking camera. That's that's good advice. Just a little prep. Just a little prep. Just a little preparation. I mean, a complex sale, large ticket item. It's all about trust. It's all about what am I going to say about these two guys if I go to Steve or to JB, our chief customer officer, and say, "Hey, I took a meeting with these people. It's kind of interesting. Do you want to talk about it? Like, what am I supposed to say about these people? I don't know who they are." I just know what their screen share looks like. Well, let me ask you a question. And this is not to be controversial because, yeah. No, no, good. You you guys are bomb bomb. But, yeah, I've been collecting articles over the last, uh, really since the start of pandemic. Because there's an increasing amount of research that says that for synchronous communications, not asynchronous video, but synchronous communications, that actually phone calls are more effective than video. And there was just a study came out. I could send you the links afterwards. I think it was Carnegie Mellon did one. In terms of tone, nuance, uh, being able to collaborate with the person on the other side, various miles, milestones or signposts that they said, hey, these, these actually, based on what they've learned so far, and everybody's admitting that still early into the study of the impact of, of Zoom and other types of video communications. But you know, do we have to have video on all the time? I have two takes, but I want to know what Steve thinks. Yeah, I, I, I have a take too. Well, sure. You, you go for, you go first and we'll see if mine's different from, from okay, what you Okay, so uh, number one, right tool for the right job. 
Um, that's a key part of what we're proposing here. What is in the best service of the other person? In some cases, it's not a video email. It's a typed out email. In some cases, it's an actual live in-person meeting. In other cases, it's a recorded video message or, or, or a virtual meeting. So right. it's really about the right tool for the right job. Like, what do we need to get done here? What is the nature of the meeting? Is this creative collaboration or is this information sharing? Like, that's a key thing. What is going to right. help the other person move forward the most effectively and therefore create mutual benefits. So that's one mm -hmm. right tool for the right job. The phone might be it. Um, just like a typed out email might be it. The other thing I would say is that I, I would be interested in the timing. I'd be interested in the definitions of effectiveness um, because obviously we were not very deep into the pandemic when the zoom fatigue thing came on. I guessed it on the morning show on the Denver news mm -hmm. uh, from my bedroom uh, talking about Zoom fatigue, and that was, was like <laughs> that was like two months into the pandemic, and so right. I'd be curious to know because um, now, the, now the fun thing is the one thing that happened with all this video calling and Zoom fatigue is that we maybe fell back in love with the telephone. You know, um, when we're forced to be on these Zoom calls in order to have meetings with our teams and our bosses and whatever. Um, we might find it refreshing to be on the phone and or start to understand the nuance that we would have taken for granted uh, when the phone used to be the default. And then we started to evolve into these video calls. So variety of factors going on there. I'd be interested in the timing. Um, and the phone might actually be the right tool for the job. Steve, what do you got? Yeah, so uh, one of mine was the same and one one is different. And that's the right tool for, for the right job. I was going to say that as well. The the other idea I had around this, and, and I'm just going to assume that these studies are accurate and I don't know, you know, I didn't read these, so I, I don't have any detail about it, but let's let's just assume that that's, that's true. The reason for that, I would believe, is most people were thrust into using video communication. And if you've ever been on a call where it's like this or it's very loud or it's soft <laughs> and people aren't looking at you, Every day I get on a video call and people are looking away the entire time. They're not yep. looking at me in the eye. They don't know how to conduct a video presentation well at right. all. I, I think we are inexperienced at video communication. Video can be just as much of a detriment as it can be an advantage. You can get on a synchronous video call and you can do an asynchronous video message and it could it, it could decrease your chances of communicating effectively and connecting with that recipient if you don't practice and you don't have a set of skills that you can rely upon and, and you, know, you haven't done it multiple times. Now, video can be a huge advantage if you're good at connecting with people. If you took, there's so many courses these days, which I'm sure a lot of people haven't taken yet on how to do a proper synchronous video presentation. You know, Jeb Blunt wrote, wrote a great book mm -hmm. about that as well and, and connecting with people over video presentations and virtual connections. Um, and my guess is 99% of the salespeople out there haven't done any training or education whatsoever. Sure. And exactly. so that's just yeah. like saying, you know, um, the roller skates are, you know, aren't faster than, than walking, which, yeah, they probably aren't when you just learn how to roller skate. Uh, but eventually it's going to be much faster once you acquire the skill and, mm -hmm. and you're going to get to your destination much faster. It's going to require time. That was a terrible analogy, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it wasn't, I, I was with it. I was just like roller skates. I can't yeah, wait. I, I was tracking roller skates. I think this is the first time somebody's brought up roller skating on the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I just think it's an interesting issue because, yes, we are early days uh, in the grand scheme of things in terms of using you know, video for synchronous communications. But I, I'm, I'm always fascinated you know, by sort of the psychology of the way we communicate and connect with humans and this idea that we sort of you know, relegated telephones to the junk bin uh, for substantive, substantive calls. I... Yeah, I think it's one people will revisit. And because yeah. I think that for a lot of the ills, as you talked about, both of you, in terms of you know being in meetings and people aren't paying attention, you're distracted by looking at yourself, distracted by other things. You're staring uh, at a screen with your email on it, so so right. you're not connecting as well. That's you know, and sorry to go right back to the book, but there is so much what I love well, about the book. There's so much tactical advice in the book, and we go specific. 
if you are in a synchronous meeting in the book, there are specific things that you can do to politely you know, call someone out to connect with them. Lauren Bailey talks about sending a, a message, you know, like if you're if if you're on with eight people at the same time, you can send the personal message, you know, over. Dan Tyre was on that, too just ask their opinion. Like there's so much sure. tactical advice on how to overcome that. Um, and some of the, the disadvantages of synchronous and asynchronous communication. Yeah. Well, and so let's sort of time we have left, talk this idea about how do we, cause really you bring it up multiple times in the book about uh, building trust, mm-hmm. right. And trust being one of the keys, obviously to, to any sort of relationship you're going to develop with a particular buyer yeah, it's it's seems like it might be a little bit harder on video, but it seems like there's some commonalities that exist regardless of the medium. And just interested what you guys think about that. Yeah, you know, there's five subconscious questions that that people will ask themselves if if they like you or before they do business with you. And it's one, do I like you? Two, do you listen to me? Three, do you make me feel important? Four, do you get me? And five, can I trust you? Those are the five subconscious questions that people check off before they do business. And and video helps you conquer four and a half of those because people make that snap decision about you instantaneously. When someone meets you for the first time, when they, you know, there's a, there's a, an article in the New York Times called The Epidemic of Facelessness. And it says, we don't recognize the humanity in others until we Uh, stare someone in the face until we actually see their eyes. Um, And someone will make that that decision about you instantaneously when they see you, how big of a smile that you have on your face, how presentable that you are. That's why, you know, for sales for years, you know, you dress up in a suit, you look nice, you look presentable. um, You know, you have a nice office if you're inviting, you know, people in. Video is, is your sales office. And just by being on video, it answers four of those questions by sending video to people. Do you make me feel important as long as you have the right message and you're connecting with that person, but something that's important to them? You know, do you get me? Can I trust you? Again, it comes down to human-centered communication, sending it through video and letting them know that you've done your research, that you know who they are, you know what problems that, that they have. Um, and on synchronous videos, you know, do, do you listen to me? And do I like... Well, Video doesn't help you necessarily with do I like you because you, know, you can do certain things to, to make people like you, but they're going to make a snap decision right off the bat. But those are the five subconscious questions that people usually ask. Yeah, and just one quick add there with regard to trust. The thing that humans look for the most in another human being is intent, right? And that's why mm-hmm. Dan Hill says something like it's more important to be on emotion than on message. But here we are just jamming scripts down on people like say these words, these are the magic words. It's more important to be on emotion than it is to be on message. And that's to say, in other words, we need to make our intent clear. What is our motivation? Why am I reaching out to you? Do I care about you? Do I have your best interests in mind? In some way, I'm just restating Steve's five questions. But when we think about our digital communication in particular, it is devoid of any of the data that helps people make those judgments. It's emotionally impoverished and it's visually impoverished. When we type out these messages and send them to people, it's devoid of exactly the data that humans need to make these trust decisions. And so simply by injecting some of this into the process, it is bound to be a little bit more helpful. And when you actually do it with someone's best interest in mind uh, and with some basic execution tips, um, you're just in a much, much better position to have people feel some psychological proximity and nearness to you, even if you've never met in person, even if you'll mm-hmm. never meet in person. Um, and that's that's the foundation for trust. And so it's this, if you are sincere, this is always my caution on video. If you're sincere about what you're doing, if you actually believe in the value of your product or service, if you actually believe the person on the other end of the line or the other end of the video message or the other end of the video call can benefit from what you're providing and you're sincerely curious about learning more about them so you can dial the situation in more and more and more to their specific needs. If you're sincere about that, there's nothing better than you could do that you could do than get on video in a basically competent way. If on the other hand, you're insincere, you you do actually 
just care about the number, you don't actually care about any of these other things I talked about, video's probably not great for you because your intent is coming off your face, it's coming through your voice, it's coming off your body. People can sense that discrepancy. They won't say, hey, that guy seems highly competent, but he has no warmth in my favor. Favor. They'll just, they'll just know that something is off and be like, ah, you know, he's all right. I don't know about that guy or gosh, I really like her or man, that guy, he's just, he's just on it. And so they're not going to say this person seems to really be motivated toward my success explicitly or consciously, but that's the emotional resonance that we're going to leave with them. If we express ourselves fully and completely in a visual and emotional manner. Okay. I agree. Good. All right. We'll sort of run out of time here. Uh, appreciate you guys stopping by talking about your book. So tell people more about where they can find it and, connect with you. Again, the book is called Human-Centered Communication. You can search that, of course, in Amazon or wherever you buy books, or you can go to bombbomb.com slash book. We name-dropped some of the people, uh, and Andy, you know many or most of them. Mm -hmm. We name-dropped a few of them here, but if you want to see who those 11 people are and have access to their LinkedIn profiles and see what's in their chapters, that all starts if you visit bombbomb.com slash book. Um, and I am Ethan Butte on LinkedIn. Steve is... Stephen Passanelli with a PH. With a PH. <laughs> uh, on LinkedIn. And I, I won't speak for you, Steve, but I welcome anyone's connection request. <laughs> so do I. I assume you do too. Yeah, I do as well. Yeah. Well, since you gave us LinkedIn uh, profile, yeah, you are, you are speaking for him. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that was great. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed the book and encourage people to pick it up and read it. And uh, yeah, certainly resonated with me. So thanks for coming by. Thanks for having us on the show, Andy. Thanks, Andy. As always. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests, Ethan Butte and Stephen Passanelli, for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.